Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. To the chief musician, so a song for corporate worship, and then it tells us the human author, most of these ones in the first book of Psalms. Psalms has five books, five different divisions. Most of them in this first one are uh, hymns attributed to David as a human author. Of course, uh, God is... Uh, the ultimate author giving us the inspired word here, every single word. And so uh, we don't have a whole lot to talk about. We can get right into it. Are you there, Psalm 11? All right, let's read Psalm 11. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more before we begin our study in this uh, song tonight. Heavenly Father, uh, we plead for your Holy Spirit this evening to uh, illuminate your word to us, that we would understand uh, what it is you're trying to teach us here about how we can move from fear to faith. Uh, we don't want to stay there, Lord. There are many times in life we might be in one of those uh, times right now when fear seems to be a present influence, maybe even a dominant influence in our life. But it is our desire that you be glorified and that we'd receive good at your hand. And we can't do that if we stay there. So we're asking tonight for you to help us understand the truth of your word and then help us to respond to it in a way that does glorify you, in a way that does help us rest and live and proclaim your worth by receiving good at your hand in jesus name amen all right so the first three verses here we've got the cause of fear this is usually what david uh, does in the opening section of the psalm uh, but he does kind of start off with a, a thesis statement or a confident uh, theme of what the psalm is about he says in the lord put i my trust in the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? And so in these first three verses, what's presented here, and in so many of the inspired hymns of this book from the Lord, is the reality of fear. Fear is a real thing in our lives. Um, it's not a question if uh, we're ever going to experience fear and I know we have a lot of men here, and we're macho, right? And we don't ever experience fear. We might call it anxiety. But it's not a question if, of if we're ever going to experience fear. That, that's uh, told to us in God's word. When David later in Psalm 56, 3 says, What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. He's, 
he's insinuating that there will be times when he's afraid. That's going to be a fact. And uh, when Peter, we've just gone through 1 Peter, when Peter tells us to, in 1 Peter 5, to cast all of our care, all of our anxieties upon him, for he careth for you, that's insinuating that there are going to be times when we have anxieties. It's just going to happen. That is life in this fallen world. And until Christ comes back, or until he calls us home to glory, that is going to be our reality. And I think it's important for us to understand that. Uh, it's not a question of whether followers of Jesus will ever experience fear or anxiety. So don't, don't let Satan, this is why it's important, don't let Satan try to cause you to question the validity of your faith or the reality of your faith uh, because you are experiencing fear or fear-inducing circumstances. If the validity of your faith, the reality of your faith, uh, is proven by what you do with fear, not whether or not it's there. It's going to be there. Now, what are you going to do with it, right? We see two causes here, verses 2 and 3, two causes of fear or anxiety, as we might, us men would like to say. First of all, when the wicked strike. For lo, verse 2, for lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily or secretly shoot at the upright in heart. And so notice here, it's, it's just the threat of physical harm, not the actual action, not physical harm happening, but even the threat of physical harm uh, that is uh, the cause of fear here for, for David's circumstance. That's one of them. Uh, you know, in my former church where Chris and I went in Fayetteville, uh, we went through the Psalms. And this is a reality for a lot of those guys because a lot of them were in special forces and a lot of them were 82nd Airborne. And they were, um, and we've got two that we're, we're praying for this month, Anthony and Caleb, who, who are literally, they've signed that check. <laughs> and they've la they're laying their lives on the line on a daily basis. And this is a real threat for some of them. Uh, for most of us, praise the Lord, this isn't. All right, but there are times in our lives when it can be. There are. Um, I think about the horrible wickedness, the evil of domestic violence that many, many people experience. And, and even the threat of that is a cause of fear. Um, I don't have to tell you who have experienced this that um, this is a very normal cause of fear. And David's highlighting here. He does it often. This was David's reality. He's hunted down by Saul repeatedly for years. Uh, then later, in his age by his own son and his army uh, trying to overthrow him. This was a reality for David. We've got men in our church that I hope you join me in lifting up in prayer because they're out there as well on a daily basis as state troopers and as sheriffs. And um, I'm thankful for them and I do. I hope they know that. I hope you know that, that we, your ch their church supports them and we pray for God's hedge of protection around them. But that can be a cause of fear when the wicked strike. The second one, verse 3, when the world shakes. And, and look, for most of us, we may not experience the fear of verse 2 on a routine basis, but verse 3 is a very, uh, a very relevant one for everybody that's in this room. It really is. When the world shakes, if the foundations be destroyed, this one, this is our present reality. Dublin First Baptist Church in 2019, this one we can relate to. Um, this is the current cultural context of the American church, isn't it? Are our foundations being destroyed? Yes. Yeah, they are. Uh, a nation founded, not perfectly, not without sin, not without evil that we're probably still experiencing consequences from. I'm not trying to say that, but a nation founded 
um, biblical principles and the Judeo-Christian ethic has now forsaken that foundation for, for the most part. And we ought to be fighting against that. We truly live in a time when in the past four decades, that's all I know experientially, right? But especially in the past four decades, I believe we live in a time when foundation block after foundation block has been removed, has been forsaken. And uh, atheistic, God, there is no God. And humanistic, man is God. Those philosophies uh, have taken out those blocks and have been inserted. And it's a scary thing. It has a very real effect of causing fear. We ought to fight against it. You know, um, David, back in verse 1, was given some advice. He says, In the Lord put on my trust. How say ye to my soul? Why do you tell me to go flee to the mountain? All right, um, this was somebody was advising him. I don't know if it came from within himself or his friends or somebody he was leaning on. But uh, this advice, to flee to the mountain, is this God's will for David? To flee? I don't think so. If he followed that advice, what is being glorified? What is being magnified? A God who can deliver? A God who is all-powerful? Or the circumstances that are causing him to flee? It's a very natural response, but is it God's will? You know, we have what we call a fight or flight response. And sometimes that's just, you know, it's a very natural human response is to want to get out of here. And this is what himself or somebody is telling him to do. He had done it before. If we look back at historical accounts from 1 Samuel of David's life, there was a time when Saul was pursuing him. And for some reason, he thought this was going to be a good idea. I'm going to go hang out with the Philistines. Like his enemy. (laughs) He just killed Goliath years before, but he's scared of Saul. And so he goes and for a while he like lives as a mercenary, basically fighting for the Philistines because he found protection there. He knew Saul wouldn't come chase him there. That was kind of the line of demarcation where Saul wouldn't go. But then he fear didn't go away. Fear doesn't go away when you flee, just transfers. So then he gets scared of the Philistines, which makes sense because, you know, they probably weren't too fond of him. (laughs) He had killed their champion. And so then he resorts to this. Um, he, he's like, they're going to kill me, so let me act crazy. And he does. He goes and stays by the gate of one of the Philistine cities, and he's scratching on it. He's letting the drool come down his, his beard. Is God glorified in that? No, <laughs> he sure isn't. So David's like, he has experience. Why are you telling me? That didn't turn out well last time. Why are you telling me flee as a bird to the mountain? But what are we to do? What are we to do? And this is what he asks and what he answers in the rest of this psalm. Look at verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, if the wicked strike, if the world is shaken, what can the righteous do? I'm glad you asked. The rest of the psalm is about what we are to do. We've, we've seen this pattern before. We've seen this outline before. Uh, I hope that you'd never get sick of it, but I hope it gets so permanently ingrained in your heads that when we find our world shaken, when we find the wicked striking, we know what to do. We don't have to listen to the advice that we were given here. You know, I think it's important to look at that and just be really careful because the natural response of, of our feelings, of us listening to our feelings, might be, to, might be to get out of dodge. It might be to flee. But we have to make sure that we are living for God's glory. That's our purpose. And making sure that that fleeing doesn't take away God's glory. We need to be very uh, careful to screen our recommendations. 
to, to watch where we're getting advice in times like these and to shape our response. So now in verses 4 to 5, this is what he does. How do you move from fear to faith? Step number one, you focus on the facts, and that's what he's doing here in verses 4 and 5, a contemplation of the facts. This is the answer to the question at the end of verse 3, what are the righteous to do in this situation? Well, we focus, first of all, in verse 4, on who God is, his character, who God is. The Lord is in his holy temple. I don't have to flee. God's in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. God is in control. And so he's emphasizing, just like he did last week in, in uh, Psalm 10, God's sovereignty. J.C. Ryle was a 19th century pastor and theologian and author, and he said nothing whatever, nothing, whether great, whether small, can happen to a believer without God's ordering and permission. Amen? Nothing can happen. He's in control. This is our lesson from Job, so many other things in the Bible. There is no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as luck or accident in the Christian's journey through this world. All is arranged and governed by God, and all things are working together for the believer's good. There's great peace and comfort that comes to us, and great glory that goes to God when we focus on his sovereignty. And then he talks about his omniscience his all-knowingness and his uh, omnipresence, uh, his ability to be everywhere and see everything in the rest of verse 4. It says, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Last week in, in Psalm 10, the wicked were saying God doesn't see, and that's why we can do whatever we want. God's not going to judge us. And David here confidently asserts, no, God's eyes do behold the wicked who are striking, who are removing the foundation. God's eyes do behold he sees, he says his eyelids try. I'm not real sure. I think there could be two ways of looking at that, but it means the same thing. You know, if I shut my eyelids, I'm not going to see a whole lot. I'm not. I'm going to maybe see light, darker, lighter, but I won't see a whole lot. That doesn't harm God. That doesn't harm God's ability not to see. If God shut his, uh, David's using an anthropomorphism here, putting human characteristics onto God, and, you know, even if God shut his eyelids, he won't see. But I don't think that's what David's saying. I think what he's saying is, have you ever really tried to closely inspect something? What do you do? You squint. You got to try to focus. We use it like a shutter, like on a camera, right? <laughs> you get a very sharp image. And we're, this is the God. He doesn't just see. He's not just a God who sees and is aware of you and your situation and what's causing your fear. No, he's a God who closely inspects. He's, he's very attentive, not just aware, but attentive and concerned about what we're going through about the fear, about what's causing the fear. Does God's sovereignty and does God's seeing give you comfort? I hope it does. That's what Psalm 10 was about. This is what Psalm 11 is about because it should. Even here, we're beginning to see David move in trajectory from fear in verses 1 to 3 up to faith by the end of the psalm. And how he does that and how you and I are to do that every time we find ourselves in fear is to focus on the facts. Who God is, his character. Now, in verse 5, what God has done and what God will do, his course, says, The Lord trieth, or testeth, or examines the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Trieth here means to examine. I think there's a couple of modern translations that use the word examines here. Uh, and I think it's important because he's not just an all-seeing God, an omniscient God, an omnipresent God. Uh, he, is, 
he is a God who not only sees, uh, but has a purpose in his seeing. I think it's really important to do that, to, to never divorce God's character, who he is, from what he does. I've done that, so I know it's possible to do that. Uh, there was a time in my life when I was first diagnosed with an autoimmune chronic condition that I had suffered from my whole life. They just gave it a name, uh, and but we weren't sure if it was terminal at that point, and I was in kind of a, a difficult state. And I had a Sunday school teacher who said, Jason, you need to study the sovereignty of God, and I did. I poured myself into verses about that and books about that, and it gave me great comfort for a minute, and then I misapplied some things, and it brought me to a place, I think I've told you about, of resignation, where, I, yes, I believe in God's sovereignty. I was theologically accurate up here, but uh, the way I believed in it was like, okay, God, yeah, you are sovereign. You gave this to me. You're in control of it. Thanks a lot. It was kind of like a resignation. Don't go there. Be careful. I, theologically, I was right in line with the Bible, but practically and how that works out, I was not. I wasn't glorifying God in that. I had divorced God's character, what was true about him, about who he is from what he do, has done and what he does and what he would do. I divorced the two. Make sure you don't do that. He's not just a God who sees. He's a God who examines. You know, we would never say it, but we can be theologically act, accurate, right? But we can be practically uh, agnostic. An agnostic is someone who doesn't believe God can be known and doesn't believe that if there is a God, he doesn't reveal himself. You know, we can be. We can be theologically accurate, but practically in how we live our lives and how we, uh, the, the choices we make, we can be practically uh, a someone an agnostic, someone who doesn't believe God reveals himself or doesn't really care or we can't know him. No, we have a God who wants to be known. That's what he's telling us, all these things about himself in the psalm. Uh, the, the, the major part of moving from fear to faith is God revealing who he is, the facts about who he is and what he's done and what he promised to do. We have a God who doesn't just see, he's not just aware, but he's got a design here. And it says, the Lord trieth the righteous, uh, testing them. Not in a punitive way, but in a purifying way. All right, in a way to, uh, to test in, in that sense. Even if we use the word like some of these modern translations do, uh, the word examines, what is the root word of that word? Exam, right? What's an exam? It's a test. <laughs> the Lord examines us. All right, so yes, he sees, but he sees with a purpose, and it's to purify our faith. Look, Christian, there is purpose in your pain. If you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, there is specific purpose in your pain. The fear that we have, the fear-inducing induce, circumstances that we face, um, God has designed them, and he's governed them. See, I believe he designed it. I just struggle with the governing part. Right? But we're told in uh, Proverbs 8.29 that even the ocean, the ocean's pretty amazing. I like going to the coast where my parents are coming tomorrow. We're going to take them up there this weekend because my dad loves the coast and anything kind of nautical and he loves the ocean. But it is powerful, isn't it? When you see that, you kind of stand in awe because it's so large. And if you go, I like to go in the winter because there's usually waves that are choppier and you can see that power. But this is our God in Proverbs 8.29 who says that wave will come no farther. That's how in control he is. That, that is how he governs. He doesn't just design it. He's not just sovereign, but he has that level of control over nature. Why do we doubt his control and his purpose in our life? This is, this is the reaction we get. If our pain is pointless, what do we do? We do what verse 1 says. There's no point in it. Fleeing is a very good option. <laughs> but our pain isn't pointless. 
No, it's got purpose in it. And so what, what is the response then to a purposeful pain? It's faith. It's faith. This is what he's calling us to. Job in Job 23.10 said, He knoweth the way that I take. It's not a surprise to him. I'd go further than even saying he's aware or he's allowed. I would say that God, I believe God's word says he's designed this. He's, he knoweth the way that I take. And when he has tried me, tested me, I shall come forth as gold. There is purpose in it. He doesn't just know our pain. He's got purpose in it. And here is the thing I needed to learn. And the whole thing I hope encourages you tonight. You're not the exception. <laughs> this is how he does everybody. That's what Satan tries to tell us. That's what self. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, Job, everybody else, but me, my pain, my pain is the one exception to what God's doing here. He doesn't know. He's not in control. And that's where fear comes from. And faith says, no, this is who he is. It's his character. It's so integral to his character. Not only that, but it is what he does. It's what he's done. It's what he will do. And then at the end of verse 5, we know that the wicked will not go unpunished. It says the wicked uh, and him that loveth violence. The ones who were stringing that bow of verse 2 and threatening David, his soul hateth. That was the frustration of the last two songs. The wicked seem to prosper in Psalm 9 and 10. And uh, here's the promise of verse 5. If his love causes him to see and care and deliver his own, that love and, and holiness also causes a hatred for sin. And he will judge and he will deliver his own because we have a just God. Now, the consequence of faith in verses 6 and 7. There's justice for those who reject faith in grace. Look at verse 6. Upon the wicked, he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. His holiness, their rejection of what he's provided in Jesus Christ, this is what they will get. This is what they will drink. This is the portion of their cup. In verse 7, there's not just justice for those who reject faith and grace. There is justice for those who receive faith and grace. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Uh, you might think when it says the righteous Lord loveth, loveth righteousness, well, this doesn't provide me a lot of hope, doesn't move me to faith because I really don't consider myself righteous. In fact, like if I had to look overall at my life and I was really honest with myself, I'd probably fall into the description and context and maybe even what is the consequences of verse 6 more than I might, uh, might be described as righteous. But it's not talking about our actual righteousness because you're right you're not righteous and I'm not righteous and there's not a human being on earth who can ever be declared righteous by their own words there's none but the good news for us who have responded to God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ is just that because their cup was drank or their cup will be drank by them by the wicked who reject Christ our cup was drunk I don't know if that's the right English all right our cup was drank <laughs> it was drank wasn't it I mean, does that word cup there bring to mind any New Testament passages? Maybe things like Matthew 20, 22, Jesus is walking on the road to Jerusalem right before his death, and his disciples are arguing. He says, what are you talking about? And James and John, two that were very close to him, and you know, you would think that they were going to kind of start getting things by now. They say, hey, we got a question for you. We'd like you to do something for us. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand when you go into your kingdom. We'd like those places of prominence. He says, I can't do it. You don't know what you're asking. Are you going to drink the same cup that I'm going to drink? 
You know, of course, we know in Matthew 26, 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, my father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In John 18, 11, Jesus said, shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? And here's the thing he did. So you and I don't have to drink the cup of verse 6. Jesus drank that. And by grace, through faith, we have justice. God is always just. There's never injustice. It's just justice for us It was performed on Jesus Christ. Because he bore the full wrath that was due you and due me for my non-righteousness, for my sin. And when we are united to him by faith, I get his record. His perfect record of never sinning because he took mine on that cross and he paid the full penalty penalty for my sins. That's why we sing um, on the solid rock. I'm dressed in his righteousness alone. I'm faultless to stand before the throne, not by my works, but by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me. Look, this one verse here in verse 7 and this doctrine of justification by faith alone is so important. We really, I, don't, I hope I mention it every time I'm behind this pulpit. I really do. Martin Luther said that this doctrine uh, is the head and cornerstone of the church. It alone begets or creates. It alone nourishes and builds and preserves and defends the church. Without it, the church cannot exist for one hour. That's how important the doctrine of justification by faith alone is. Without it, this church cannot exist. This church and the church at whole could not exist for one hour. That's how important it is that we trust in Christ and what he has done for us. For us. Um, this is what ushers out fear, because guess where I am without that? I'm in verse 6, and I've got a big cup to drink, and I don't want to drink it. Guess where I am with faith and what Christ has done? <laughs> he drank that cup for me, and I'm righteous. I don't deserve to be, but I'm righteous before God. And the reason I am, even, even when I don't feel like it, and that's important because there are many times I don't feel justified. <laughs> I got it on the back of my Jeep. That's, that's for one of what it says. It's dedikaimenos. It means justified because it reminds me every time I go up there that I'm justified because there's times when I've done things or I'm feeling things and my emotions and my feelings, I don't feel justified. I'm very glad it doesn't depend on my feelings. I'm very glad that it depends on faith. I'm very glad that the reason I know it's rock solid is because it's based on Jesus Christ. And where is he? At God's right hand, pleading for me, interceding for me. He will ever be there. Ever. It's rock solid. It's not dependent on my feelings. It's dependent on the ever-living one whose wounds for me will plead. No, Jesus bore justice for us so that we could be justified in him and it's faith in God's grace that uh, provides us with his presence. I love the end of verse 7. says, his countenance doth behold the upright. His face. <laughs> God's face. That's so much more than a guy who sees or just knows about what's going on or just an awareness. This is a care and concern. His face beholds the upright. And I hope we behold him. I hope we do. I pray that that is our desire and our passion, what we live for. It's faith like this that allows us to push fear out. Because it's really not us who's doing it. It's God who's doing it. Fear might come for a visit. It will. We're told that. What time I am afraid, it's going to happen. What are you going to do? Should I flee to the mountain? 
If the foundations be destroyed, if things don't turn around in the United States of America, and I hope they do. I've got a last book of this Bible that says that they're probably not going to at some day. <laughs> Even if they do in our lifetime, at some point, it's just going to get worse and worse until he returns. And if they don't, what will I do? Will I flee as a bird in the mountain? Or by faith, will I trust in his grace? Will I magnify the fear that's making me want to flee? Will I glorify that by fleeing? Or will I remain? Will I remain faithful and exalt him and exalt his worth and exalt how precious he is and that he is my treasure and not my comfort and not my feelings? It's Jesus Christ. Will you ascend in trajectory for God's glory and for your good? Will you do that tonight? I, you have trusted him. I, you have trusted him with your eternal destiny. Will you trust him with Wednesday night? That's, that is the thing that challenges me. I have trusted him with my whole life. Will I trust him with tomorrow? Will I trust him with this particular fear-causing thing? Tommy's going to come. We're going to sing a couple more songs that I hope are ways we can commit to do that tonight. Please sing them as a prayer. Please sing them as a commitment.